Hey, good evening. No, wait. No, it is good morning. Good morning, everyone. Um, I am recording this. This is going to be a recorded episode. So if you're watching this live, then and you're in the chat, you're active on uh, Pilled or uh, Rumble, then thank you for being active there. But I am uh, I might be there in the chat with you, um, but I may not be available. I've decided like I've been saying for a while now that I may start doing some recorded shows and some live shows. This is going to be my attempt at a recorded episode. Hopefully I can get this to stream on all of the places I'm usually streaming live at. I think I figured out a clever way to do it, but we'll find out. I know for sure I'm going to be able to do this on Rumble. So um, welcome everyone. This is just human number 223. And I do have, in addition to telling you that this is going to be a recorded episode, uh, so, you know, those of you that like to do rumble rants, which I very much appreciate, um, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to be able to address them live during this show. Uh, you're welcome to make them of course, but, um, if I'm in chat, then I'll respond in chat, but I won't be able to respond obviously in the video. Um, so for, that's the first thing you need to know. The second thing you need to know today's show is first going to be about the Trump cases. We're going to go through some legal docs. Then we're going to talk about a possibly missing Chinese submarine. But then we're going to get into the Israel-Hamas-Islamic Jihad, potentially Hezbollah conflict. And I'm going to be showing some graphic images. So I want to... I don't like doing that on my show. Um, I try to avoid showing anything graphic on this show uh, intentionally. but Today is going to be an episode where I have to, and we're going to test some of these images to see whether or not they have been manipulated. Um, honestly, I'm not looking forward to it, but there's a whole lot of people um, presenting things as as fact or as false without without the evidence to do so, and there's a lot of conflicting information and. Um, I've been, I've been quite bothered about it. Uh, so I've been quite bothered, uh, about a number of things about this conflict and, uh, about the way the, just what I'm seeing in various communities online. So I was, I was, uh, I was prompted to go over some of my research, um, that I did on this matter. Uh, by some folks in my chat and just, I just wanted to present some people with some things I'd found. And uh, the feedback I got was you need to go over this and share this with people. And again, I don't really want to, I don't want to, um, I don't want to show graphic images and I don't want to get into a back and forth arguing about um, this material. But I, my hope is that, in doing this, it's a teachable moment as far as how you can do your best to verify information that you come across that you, it's important to you. Um, I am certainly not the end all authority. I don't know everything and I'm not an expert in just about anything. Um, but I do my best and I try to, whenever I have information coming at me, uh, such as during a conflict, and I want to figure out what's going on in that conflict or I want to follow along. Um, I, I do the work or I try to do the work to verify what I can 
and to rank uh, that information according to the credibility and how much of it I can verify, right? So right now I'm seeing a I'm seeing a lot of ops being run, like a lot of propaganda, a lot of uh, uh, a lot of manipulation of information and manipulation of communities with the end goal being to distract, disorient, uh, and uh, eventually get people to give up or just focus on fighting the wrong battles. So that's going to, we're going to save that for the last segment in this show. And if you're, if you're not down to look at some of these images, totally understand. I want to give a warning now at the beginning of the show. And then when we get to that segment, I'll give another warning. Um, and then we'll get into it. So, all right. If you uh, if you like this show, please hit the thumbs up over on Rumble. If you want to support the show, um, you can go. You can find the links in the description or go to my link tree. Um, the best way is a subscription to my Substack. Um, but if you don't want to do a paid subscription, that's cool. Go ahead and get a free one because the Substack. I occasionally do an article every once in a while, but I use it to put out the podcast version of this show. If you're listening to this on the podcast version, uh, which quite a few people do, while you guys won't be able to see the images I'm going over, um, I think it'll still be, I'll try to make it worth listening to in, in the way I describe and I'll, uh, what we're doing. And I'll also be mentioning the websites and the tools we're using to look at the images and I, th I think you'll still get something out of it and you won't have to see any of the, the graphic images. So, um, yeah, if you want to support the show, Substack's a great way. Another great way is my merch store, Red White Bourbon 45, um, or use the referral link in my link tree or in the description of this video to get yourself some honey from Benson Honey Farm, some salsa sauces or chili from bootleg products. Uh, use that referral link. It kicks a few dollars my way if you place an order with those two companies. So really appreciate it. Everything I do is free. And so I depend on uh, you folks who like the show and appreciate the work I do to decide to purchase an item um, or to buy a subscription or to go to ko-fi.com slash just human and buy me a cup of coffee. It is 1030 over here in Virginia, and I am drinking coffee right now because this is probably the best opportunity I'm going to have to do a show for tomorrow. And uh, I don't know, this might become normal. So I like doing shows in the morning, but uh, just the way things are right now, it's making more sense for me to record certain episodes. Told y'all it was going to happen. Here we are. All right. So this first topic, we're going to talk about Trump's cases. Let me make my video smaller because I don't need to occupy that much real estate on the screen. Over in the District of Columbia, in the J6 case that Trump has from Jack Smith, there has finally been a gag order issued. So let's look at this gag order. Seeing a lot of people upset about it. Let's see if it's justified being that upset about it. Opinion and order from Judge Chutkin. For reasons set forth below and during the hearing in this case on October 16th, the government's motion to ensure that extrajudicial statements do not prejudice these proceedings is granted in part and denied in part. So Jack Smith got a little bit of what he wanted and then some of it he didn't get. Under binding Supreme Court precedent, 
This court, quote, must take, must take such steps by rule and regulation that will protect its processes from prejudicial outside interferences. The First Amendment does not override that obligation. Quote, freedom of discussion should be given the widest range compatible with the essential requirement of the fair and orderly administration of justice, but it must not be allowed to divert the trial from the very purpose of a court system to adjudicate controversies, both criminal and civil, in the calmness and solemnity of the courtroom according to legal procedures. That is from Seattle Times Company versus Reinhardt back in 1984. I'm going to go ahead and read the next quote. Although litigants do not surrender their First Amendment rights at the courthouse door, those rights may be subordinated to other interests that arise in this setting. For instance, and it's on several occasions, this court has approved restrictions on the communications of trial participants where necessary to ensure a failed trial for a criminal defendant. Now, here's Judge Chutkin's words. Here, alternative measures such as careful, careful voir dire, or jury selection, jury sequestration, which will absolutely be necessary, and cautionary jury instructions are sufficient to remedy only some of the potential prejudices that the government's motion seeks to address. So she's saying the normal steps a court would take as far as jury selection, jury sequestration, and cautionary instructions for the jury are sufficient to remedy only some of some some of the problems that are going to come up with trying a former president of the United States. That's understandable. In order to safeguard the integrity of these proceedings, it is necessary to impose certain restrictions on public statements by interested parties. Undisputed testimony cited by the government demonstrates that when defendant has publicly attacked individuals, including on matters related to this case, those individuals are consequently threatened and harassed. Since his indictment, and even after the government filed the instant motion, defendant, meaning Trump, has continued to make similar statements attacking individuals involved in the judicial process, including potential witnesses, prosecutors, and court staff. Defendant has made those statements to national audiences using language communicating not, not merely that he believes the process to be illegitimate, but also that particular individuals involved in it are liars or, quote, thugs or deserved death. The court finds that such statements pose a significant and immediate risk that one, witnesses will be intimidated or otherwise unduly influenced by the prospect of being themselves targeted for harassment or threats. And two, attorneys, public servants, and other court staff will themselves become targets for threats and harassment. And that risk is largely irreversible in the age of the internet. Once an individual is publicly targeted, even revoking the offending statement may not abate the subsequent threats, harassment, or other intimidating effects during the pre-trial, as well as trial stages of this case. Um, can't, I can't resist pointing out that these lines right here are going to come back around. Like these, This sentence I just read uh, could also be a commentary on the information I'm going to present later on with the Israel-Hamas conflict stuff. Because certain statements made in public, even if retracted, have a way of not going not going away and the impact that they have tends to echo throughout certain groups once it gets starts getting amplified online and by media right 
The defense is positioned that no limits may be placed on defendant's speech because he is engaged in a political campaign is untenable. And the cases it cites do not hold. The circuit court in both United States v. Brown and United States v. Ford recognized that First Amendment rights must yield to the imperative of a fair trial. Unlike the district courts in those cases, however, this court has found that even amidst his political campaign, defendant's statements pose sufficiently grave threats to the integrity of these proceedings that cannot be addressed by alternative means, and it has tailored its order to meet the force of those threats. Thus, limited restrictions on extrajudicial statements are justified here. The bottom line is that equal justice under law requires the equal treatment of criminal defendants. Defendants' presidential candidacy cannot excuse statements that would otherwise intolerably jeopardize these proceedings. I have to agree with her. I have to agree with all of that right there. Accordingly, and pursuant to Local Criminal Rule 57.7c, it is hereby ordered that all interested parties in this matter, including the parties and their counsel, are prohibited from making any public statements or directing others to make any public statements that target one, the special counsel prosecuting this case or his staff, two, defense counsel or their staff, three, any of this court staff or other supporting personnel, or four, any reasonably foreseeable witness or the substance of their testimony. So her order goes to both. It goes to both what people are saying about the court or what Trump and uh, members of his, his team are saying about the court and the special counsel. But it also goes as far as defense counsel and their staff, meaning Trump's team, right? They are also protected under this order. This order should not be construed to prohibit defendant from making statements criticizing the government generally, including the current administration or the department of justice statements asserting that defendant is innocent of the charges against him or that his prosecution is politically motivated, or statements criticizing the campaign platforms or policies of defendants' current political rivals, such as former Vice President Pence. In addition, the sealed version of the government's motion to ensure that extrajudicial statements do not prejudice these proceedings is denied as mute or moot. Okay, on the face of it, I completely agree with what Ju- Judge Chutkin has put out here my only issue at all is that it's a little bit, it's a little vague right here. It's kind of vague. It says all part, all interested parties in this matter, including the parties and their counsel, meaning including the government, Jack Smith, DOJ and their lawyers and Trump and his lawyers and the witnesses and their lawyers are prohibited from making any public statements or directing others to make any public statements that target. And then she goes on to list the special counsel and his team, defense counsel and their team, the court and their staff and any witness or any witnesses testimony. But it just says prohibited from making it that target them. So I think it's a little vague. Um, but her reasoning and what she laid out leading up to it make a lot of sense to me and I think is very fair and reasonable. I also, I find myself, again, I feel like it's it's worth making this point um, often. 
in these matters. Imagine a defendant who you don't like at all, who's the opposite of Trump. And then how would you feel about this order? And then compare that to how you feel about it when it comes to Trump. And in there, you'll find where your biases lead you one way or the other. And it makes sense that there's going to be some sort of gag order here. And Trump has definitely baited this. I mean, I think we can all agree that observing Trump's statements about Jack Smith and others involved in this case, um, Trump has been prodding for a gag order that was super strong. I think Trump wanted a gag order that was really harsh. I think he wanted it because he wants to take it to the Supreme Court, which is exactly what he's doing with this. And I, I'm realizing now I forgot to pull that article up. Uh, just a moment. Let me grab it. I'm noticing my mic redlining quite a bit for some reason. And uh, so sorry if my my uh, audio got distorted there. I've moved the mic away from my, a little bit further away from me. Yeah, yeah. Trump says that he is going to, that he is going to appeal this gag order imposed on him and he wants to take it to the Supreme Court, I'm sure, is what he's going to want. Trump wrote on True Social, Today a judge put on a gag order. I'll be the only politician in history that runs with a gag order where I'm not allowed to criticize people. Can you imagine this? We'll appeal it and we'll see, but it's so unconstitutional. The good thing is we have so much support, it's incredible. Now, I'm really not sure it is unconstitutional. I just think it needs to be more narrow and specific and have a little bit less ambiguity and vagary about what it means to target people with your, your language. Is he not allowed to mention Jack Smith whatsoever? Like at all? Like he can't say the name Jack Smith or he can't like say, I have like, it, there needs to be, it needs to be spelled out a little better, I think. But, um, the judge's reasoning for it makes all the sense in the world, in my opinion. Okay, so that's the latest in the D.C. case, but we're, we've been very interested over here on this show in the Florida case. Now, if you remember the last episode, I was having some difficulty pulling up some of these items from Pacer. We still got that problem. I don't know why. It could be me. It could be something I'm doing wrong, and that's okay. Um, I'll figure it out, but eventually, I hope. But something's going on, and when I go to Pacer, I'm having a little bit of difficulty. So I want to show you guys something different. Last time I showed you how to look just for the specific docket entry. And I showed you well, – let me back up a little bit more. Let me back up more. Let me just go to query. I'll just start all over again. No, no, no. Go away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so to search this case number – Right here, all I did to find this case was I highlighted the number here, okay? Went to Pacer, logged in. You can have a free account there, by the way. You don't have to pay. But when you get, when you, you have to pay for documents off of it, though. About 10 cents a page, typically. So, 
Now I don't want, why does it have my link tree in there? <laughs> Let me copy that again. Paste my link tree into Pacer. All right. There we go. So you type it, you put that in right there and you hit find K. Oh my gosh. You guys can't even see this because my screen changed size. This, okay. Y'all are just going to have to bear with me today. It's going to be one of those shows. I think it already feels so weird recording it instead of why does it have it? Why does OBS, why is OBS cutting off part of my screen? I just read that whole thing to y'all and didn't, I, I'd only just now realized that it was doing that. The joys of being a podcaster. Why is it doing this? Okay. We're going to fix it real quick. Somehow I'm going to fix it. Okay, there we go. There we go. That's better. All right. Sorry about that, folks. 223 episodes. I'm still not a pro at this. I don't think I'll ever, ever will be. I'm okay with that. All right, so you search that case number right here. Okay, we took it from here over on Court Listener. To find it on Court Listener, all you got to do is type United States v. Trump, by the way. You'll get a list of cases, but you can put it in quotation marks, and then you can sort it by most recent case, and it's not that hard to find. All right, so we're going to check this one because we want to see all of them, all the defendants. And then we're going to hit Run Query. It gives us this right here. Now, last time what we clicked on was View a Document. And with that, you can type in a docket entry and it'll bring up that that entry off the docket but this time I want to show you how you can get a list when you back up on here it doesn't like it so you have to hit that run query button again this time we're gonna to go to docket report which is just the docket you go there then you hit run report and it's gonna pull up Trump's docket now you get this screen which is pretty nice because it shows all the pending counts up here. It shows the defendants in each one of their counts. What see right here has Oliveira. He's only has these counts. You scroll down and then now it has all of the filings in the case. And it, you can click these little blue numbers right here. That's the docket entry number. So where we're at, I'm going to scroll all the way down. Last time I strained, we were up here in the 170s. Well, now we have some more stuff that came out yesterday and the day before. So I'm going to open these up. Just going to click them into a new tab because we're going to go through them. And for each one, it's going to bring it up like this. And it's going to tell you it costs 20 cents to look at it because there's two pages. Hit view document. It's going to want you to download it which is fine. And then you can just view it in the browser. So here we go. I'm telling you guys this so that if you ever want to start looking at court documents yourself, 
and learning about what's going on in case you're interested in, you know how to do it. And you can also verify what I'm looking at. All right. Remember last time in Florida with Judge Cannon, they had that Garcia hearing and a Garcia hearing. My understanding of it is when the judge holds a hearing with the defendants and the prosecution and makes sure the defendant knows and is aware of and understands that one or more of their attorneys, their defense attorneys, have also represented or are representing other defendants in the case or possible witnesses in the case and that there could be a conflict of interest there and they just want to make sure the defendant is aware of all the people that their 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 counsel is representing or has represented in case that defendant wants to change counsel. And then there's a, the government has an opportunity to say, look, we don't want that defense counsel to cross-examine or to mention this witness because they formally represented them. And that's what Cannon, Judge Cannon got mad about at Jack Smith's uh, team because they brought that argument saying they wanted to limit um, I don't remember if it was Nada or De Oliveira or both of one of their attorney. I think it was Woodward, um, their attorney. They that the counsel, the prosecution wanted to forbid Woodward from mentioning one of the witnesses in the opening or closing statements, and wanted to prevent that attorney from cross-examining the witness. But they didn't let the judge know they were going to make those arguments before the hearing, and she was pissed. So here's her order. She says the hearing that was conducted after full briefing on the special counsel, uh, the office of special counsel's motion to address potential conflicts of interest arising from John Irving's. Okay. was John Irving, John Irving's former representation of three potential witnesses. Defendant day Oliveira attended the public hearing and answered questions under oath. The office of special counsel and defense counsel presented argument and answered questions on the potential conflicts raised in the motion. Following a full colloquy, the court found that defendant De Oliveira knowingly, intelligently, and voluntarily waived his Sixth Amendment right to conflict-free counsel arising from any actual or potential conflicts of interest caused by Mr. Irving's former representation of the individuals identified in the motion. So he said, yeah, it's all right. I'm good with I'm aware, and I'm okay with it. Finding no basis not to accept that express and unconditional waiver. The court hereby accepts defendant De Oliveira's waiver of his right to conflict-free representation. There's a footnote. Let me see if the footnote's interesting. As stated in the motion and reiterated during the October 12, 2023 hearing, the Office of Special Counsel does not at this time seek disqualification of Mr. Irving or any other remedy related to the alleged conflicts. Mr. Irving indicated that defendant De Oliveira's local counsel, Donnie Merle Jr., is prepared to conduct the cross-examinations of the subject witnesses should any of them be called to testify at trial and defendant day Oliveira fully assented to that arrangement. So she's okay with it. Let's see. Was this, that was the same page. That was the two. Okay. Let's go to this one. Maybe it was Waltine Nada that had Woodward and that was who they made the, that's where they, okay, if I'm remembering right, that's who they, who she got mad about was they introduced new arguments having to do with Oliveira. And he's the one that has Woodward as his counsel, I think. I don't know. There's so much news. It all runs together. 
Okay, this is Trump's motion, defendant, defendant's motion to extend deadline for discovery request and motions to compel. So we're back to that argument we were having in the discussion going back and forth about um, the schedule and discovery and the SIPA and the SCIF and all of that. So this could be pretty juicy. The last couple on this topic have been very juicy. So let's see where this one goes. President Donald J. Trump hereby moves this court to stay defendant's October 20th, 2023 deadline to file motions to compel discovery or any discovery related request and in support thereof states as follows. So there's a deadline for when Trump and team have to file motions to compel the government to produce certain discovery. But Trump and team can't form and formulate and make a plan and file those motions right now because they don't have access to all the discovery that has been produced thus far. So how do they know what they need to file motions for to compel discovery from the DOJ if they haven't seen what has already been made, right? So a stay, if you don't know, is a pause. They want they want the judge to be like, all right, we're just going to ignore this deadline for now because we have this other matter that needs to be resolved first, and then those deadlines are going to have to be adjusted. Footnote. Defendants Waltine Nada and Carlos de Oliveira joined President Trump in filing this motion. While defendants in the special counsel's office have conferred in good faith, the office opposes this motion and requests one business day to respond in opposition. All right. A stay of the October 20th, 2023 deadlines is necessary because of the failure of the special counsel's office to produce discovery pursuant to the schedule that it described to the court and defense counsel in June and July 2023. Indeed, on October 14th, 2023, President Trump's counsel learned that the office's October 6th, 2023 production of approximately 2,400 pages of additional classified discovery is still not available for review in this district. Despite the office's discovery failures, and despite the fact that there is a pending motion for, quote, an adjusted schedule, quote, of inter alia, quote, defense discovery request, and motions to compel, the special counsel's office opposes the straightforward application of the stay order. Accordingly, for the reasons set forth in President Trump's pending adjournment motions, as well as the reasons set forth below, defendants respectfully request that the court stay the October 20th, 2023 deadline and set a new one in connection with the resolution of the pending adjournment motions. Background. In the July 21st, 2023 scheduling order, the court set an October 20th, 2023 deadline for any, quote, motion to compel discovery or any discovery-related request. The court observed in the scheduling order that, quote, discovery in this case is exceedingly voluminous and will require substantial time to review and digest in accordance with defendant's right to a fair trial. The court entered the July 21st order and scheduled the corresponding deadlines in light of false representations by the special counsel's office to the court that, quote, all discovery would be available on, quote, day one. As detailed in our filings on October 4th and October 11th, the special counsel's office continues to produce unclassified and classified discovery. To date, the special counsel's office has produced more than 680,000 unclassified documents and emails totaling nearly 1.3 million pages, which is considerably more unclassified discovery than the office estimated to the court prior to the entry of the July 21st, 2023 scheduling order. 
On September 22nd, 2023, President Trump filed a motion, quote, seeking an adjusted schedule for defense discovery request, motions to compel, and motions pursuant to four, uh, paragraph four of the Classified Information Procedures Act. The motion is under consideration, along with President Trump's October 4th, 2023 motion for an adjournment of the trial date in light of inter alia ongoing discovery failures. On September 25th, at the direction of the court, defendants Waltine Nada and Carlos de Oliveira filed briefs related to relating to the appropriate scope of the CIPA 3 protective orders. On October 6, 2023, the court entered the stay order, quote, temporarily staying CIPA CIPA 4 deadlines pending consideration and resolution of defendant's motion for revised schedule um, and motions to compel and the supplemental briefs on CIPA 3 and 4. A lot of jargon here. I'm trying to skip past some of it, but also include what I think is important. The special counsel's office continues to produce discovery, including productions on October 6th of both unclassified and classified discovery. The October 6th classified discovery production nearly doubled the volume of classified discovery in this case. And counsel has not had any opportunity to review that production as of this filing. So they're driving the point home like, look, judge, 10 days ago, 10 days ago, this special counsel doubled the amount of of classified discovery in the case. And... How, and now, and the deadline for us to write motions to compel more discovery is the twentieth. So we have fourteen days to review hundreds of thousands of pages, and then decide if we need to ask the government for more. It's not enough time. Specifically, as noted above, defense counsel learned on October fourteenth, twenty twenty-three, that the office still had not made appropriate arrangements to transport the production to this district. So they don't even have access to it as of October 14th. So it was produced October 6th, but not all of it has been made available to Trump's team. The special counsel's office has also indicated that additional discovery is forthcoming, including both classified and unclassified jinx acts materials that the office previously told the court it would produce in July, 2023 jinx acts is like communications from the FBI about the case, I believe, if I remember right. Um, I'm pretty sure. Let me just cheat this and go to uh, Jinx Acts. Jinx Acts requires, or the Jinx Act, requires the prosecutor to produce a verbatim statement or report made by a government witness or prospective government witness, other than the defendant, but only after the witness has testified. Jinx material is evidence that is used in the course of a federal criminal prosecution in the United States. It usually consists of documents relied upon by government witnesses to testify at trial. The material is described as inculpatory, favoring the government's prosecution of a criminal defendant. Jinx Act also covers other documents related to testimony or relied upon by government witnesses at trial. Typically, the material may consist of police notes, memoranda, reports, summaries, letters, related to an indictment or verbatim transcripts used by government agents or employees to testify at trial. Yep. Applicable law. When good cause is shown, the court has broad discretion to manage cases, including trial trial schedule and discovery deadlines. 
skipping some of that. In accordance with federal criminal rule 16.1b to facilitate preparation for trial, one or both parties may ask the court to modify the time, place, manner, or other aspects of disclosure prescribed by this rule. After the discovery conference, one or both parties may ask the court to determine or modify the time, place, manner, and other aspects, blah, 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 discussion. This motion necessitated by the unreasonable position of the special counsel's office is a straightforward application of the court's stay order. There are pending motions for adjournments of inter alia the October 20th deadline for discovery request and motions to compel. Pursuant to the stay order, those deadlines should be stayed until the adjournment motions are resolved. Notwithstanding the stay order, the special counsel's office opposes this motion. This is odd, to put it mildly, in light of the fact that the office's untimely productions are the reason that the schedule is no longer viable. So, Jack Smith's team has screwed up the schedule, but then now is opposing any changes to the schedule that would get everybody back on schedule. The resolution of the adjournment motions has been greatly complicated by the ongoing failures of the special counsel's office to produce discovery on the timeline that it represented to the court and counsel this summer. For example, for example, the office still has not explained the timing of its October 6th production of thousands of pages of additional classified discovery, which is greatly in excess of what the office estimated to the court as recently as September 12th. The special counsel's office has not even made the October 6th classified production available to defendants in this district. Despite that fact, and despite the pending dispute over the scope of the SIPA 3 protective orders relating to President Trump's co-defendants, the office suggested to counsel on the night of October 13th, so last Friday night, that defendants should be required to make discovery requests relating to thousands of pages of late classified discovery by the end of the week of October 16th, or maybe it was Saturday, which one of those. In other words, the office has offered, the office means special counsel's office, the office has offered defendants less time to review the production and make requests relating to it than the office took to get the materials to Florida in the first place. Also on the night of October 13th, 2023, the special counsel's office took the baseless position that there is a distinction to be drawn between classified and unclassified discovery for purposes of, purposes of the October 20th deadline. The distinction does not appear in the scheduling order or the stay order. Rather, the office seeks to manufacture this distinction to continue to pressure defense counsel to move ahead on an unreasonable schedule that the office itself has not met. Moreover, the proffered distinction between unclassified and classified litigation is entirely illusory for these purposes. It is simply wrong to suggest that this case can proceed on distinct tracks and schedules for classified and unclassified discovery. Our review of the classified materials informs our review of the unclassified materials and vice versa. Our unclassified motions will implicate some evidence that is classified, and the SIPA litigation will at times impact unclassified aspects of the case. This is particularly true with respect to discovery requests and motions to compel. As one example, if the parties have a dispute over whether components of the intelligence community are part of the prosecution team, and thus whether the office's Rule 16 Brady and Jinx obligations extend to the disputed components, 
The court's resolution of that motion will have implications for both classified and unclassified materials. That is why, when the office was operating in a manner that was slightly more consistent with the reality of the case like this, the prosecutors conceded that discovery request may require additional SIPA for litigation. Finally, to be clear, defendants are not sitting idly while the adjournment motions are pending. Counsel have made progress on the review of the terabytes of discovery in this case. In that regard, on October 9th, 2023, President Trump sent the special counsel's office a letter with initial discovery demands, and defendants will continue to transmit demands to the office as we complete our ongoing review of discovery. President Trump's initial set of discovery demands call for the special counsel's office to produce as of yet unavailable and or unproduced discovery, including inter alia, certain documents and communications in the possession of other members of the prosecution team. An example, certain Department of Justice components and the National Archives Records and Administration. Policies and procedures regarding NARA's historical practices for handling classified information and basis for referring or not referring matters relating to the possible mishandling of classified information to other government agencies, hello Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton, and numerous categories of documents and communications referenced in discovery, but not yet produced. The initial discovery demands will result in either additional discovery, both classified and unclassified, or motion practice if we are unable to reach agreement with the special counsel. This process is ongoing, and to the extent there is a delay in this effort, such delay is because the office has not completed discovery within the time frame contemplated by the court's scheduling order, or as otherwise promised by the special counsel's office, preventing the defense from completing this process by October 20th. For these reasons, the defense seeks the confirmatory relief requested herein. Consistent with the existing stay order and for good cause shown, President Trump respectfully requests that the court explicitly stay the October 20th deadline. Signed, Christopher Keis and Todd Blanche, the same ones who made the other arguments. And I want to read this part again because that perked my interest up. It says, President Trump's initial discovery, excuse me, President Trump's initial set of discovery demands call for the special counsel's office to produce as of yet unavailable and or unproduced discovery, including certain documents and communications in the possession of members of the prosecution team, meaning certain Department of Justice components, and the National Archives and Records Administration. I'm just wondering if they're talking about those nine classified documents that got taken away by the owners. Remember that. I was kind of leaning towards it being DOD, but this mention right here makes me think it might be. Back to my, my instinct was NARA when I first read it, but it's making me think, go back to that. I'm not sure that's what they're talking about, but it could be. I also like this mention of uh, policies and procedures regarding NARA's historical practices for handling classified information and basis 
for referring or not referring matters relating to the possible mishandling of classified information to other government agencies. This is all about the Clintons and other people, Joe Biden, other people who have mishandled classified information. Trump wants all that information from NARA about about those cases and why they did or did not refer them. Good stuff. That's that's some foreshadowing there for the type of what we're going to see play out in trial, right? The type of arguments we're going to see. All right, next document, four pages. Let me grab it. I don't know how many people appreciate me going over how I get the documents from Pacer, but I've gotten a few messages from people who tell me that they, they do appreciate it. And uh, I like that. I, I appreciate that you appreciate it. Okay. Government supplemental response to standing discovery order. I also appreciate that you let me know that you let me know you like when I do this, this pleading complies with local rule, blah, 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 blah. Per the protective order issued in this case. Now remember, this is Jack Smith arguing against Trump. Of course, per the protective order issued in this case, the government has provided six prior productions of discovery to defendants, Trump, Nada, Oliveira. On October 16th, the government provided a seventh production of unclassified discovery to counsel for defendants. It's called Production 7. Production 7 consists of about 138 pages produced in response to an October 9th, 2023 discovery letter from Defendant Trump. The government produced the materials notwithstanding the government's belief that such production exceeds its current discovery obligations. So they're saying, we didn't really have to give you this stuff, and it's only 138 pages, so really you shouldn't be whining about it. That's what he's saying. The government responds to the specific items identified in the standing discovery order as set forth below. B. And by the way, he may have caught Trump's Trump team out cleverly right there because Trump team said they doubled the amount of classified discovery, which of course makes it seem like it's a whole bunch after they had just said that there were 680,000 pages of unclassified, right? 1.3 million pages of documents or whatever. And all these terabytes. But then Jack Smith comes in and says, yeah, we just gave them 138 pages in this latest production. It's not that much, Judge. So you can see how Trump's language, Trump's attorney's language, you're, you come away from it thinking how big it is, how much it is. And then Jack's team is coming in saying, actually, it was only 138 pages. But notice they leave off addressing the October 6th production. They skipped that. They skipped addressing so far. They they skipped addressing the October sixth production. So, anyway, all right. B demand for reciprocal discovery. The United States requests the disclosure and production of those items described and listed in paragraph B of the standing discovery order. The government is providing information or material known to the United States that may be favorable to either defendant on the issues of guilt or punishment. The government has disclosed and will continue to disclose any payment any payments, promises of immunity, leniency, preferential treatment, or other inducements made to prospective government witnesses. The government's discovery productions include grand jury testimony and recordings of witnesses who may testify. The government is aware of con- continuing duty of its continuing duty to disclose newly discovered inf- additional information required. And then that's it. <laughs> so they didn't even address it guys. They didn't even address 
the October the October sixth production that Trump's team said doubled the amount of of material they needed to go through. Fourteen days before the deadline, they only brought up yeah on the October sixteenth we gave them one hundred thirty eight pages. Sleight of hand, I guess you could say. All right, next document, three pages. And I think, guys, while these pages, while this stuff isn't that expensive um, to get, I have had a few times where Pacer uh, waived my charges. And I'm trying to remember what it was. I, I think there's a cap. Like, the most they'll charge you is only a certain, I don't remember how much it was. But I know one time there was like a month during Durham, I think it was during the Danchenko trial or Sussman or leading up to those case, those trials where I'd, I'd bought some documents off of there. And then I got an email saying you racked up so many handful of dollars in, in charges and they've all been waived because they didn't exceed some amount. So you, you may not even get charged if you go in here and start doing this. Okay. Here is Judge Cannon's order on the hearing and rescheduling Garcia hearing. Now, this is going to be for Walting Nada. Remember where she got upset in that Garcia hearing? She ended up not hearing, not completing the hearing as regards Nada. So, this matter comes for the court about a hearing held on October 12th for purposes of conducting Garcia as to defendant Walting Nada. In light of the concerns raised by def- by counsel for defendant Nada regarding new arguments and legal authorities raised by the Office of Special Counsel for the first time during the hearing and not previously included in the office's filings, Judge Cannon is, she's not going to let that go. The court adjourned the hearing to consider the matter and to allow time for defense counsel to fully advise defendant Nada as to the uh, special counsel's newer arguments and how they pertain to defendant not a six minute rights. I should have made that point in explaining what happened. I, I, I explained that judge Cannon was mad because the special counsel hadn't previously brought up those arguments to her in any filings. And I think I kind of made it sound like she was upset because she needed to know before the, the hearing uh, but what's most important, actually, is that the defendant needs to know. The defendant needs to know that the government's going to make those arguments against his own de- own attorneys so that he and his attorneys can address it. And so by Jack, by Jack Smith's special counsel doing that, by not telling anybody they were going to bring up these arguments, most importantly the defense, and then trying to make those arguments during the hearing, they put Waltine Nada at a severe disadvantage. So Judge Cannon wasn't pissed because she was left in the dark. She was pissed on behalf of the defendant, which is her job. That is her being a good judge and looking out for the defendant and making sure that they get a fair trial. And if she hadn't ended that that hearing and allowed that those arguments to be put forth and then she would have been expecting she would have put defendant not as counsel in a position where they had to make up an argument on the spot. And it, it just would be completely unfair. And it wasn't ethical of Jack Smith's counsel to do that. They really messed up. All right. Ordered and adjudged on or before or before October 17th. So today, 
as I'm recording this. The party shall meaningfully confer to further clarify the nature, scope, and potential manifestations of the conflicts alleged by the Office of Special Counsel regarding Stanley Woodward. I was right. Former representation of Trump employee four and current representation of witness one. There's a footnote. The court references potential witnesses using designations in the special counsel's filing. Okay, that's fine. This is clarifying who they're referring to with witness one. This conferral should include a comprehensive discussion of the ways in which the Office of Special Counsel believes that Mr. Woodward's former representation of Trump employee four and current representation of witness one could adversely affect Mr. Woodward's performance so as to render his assistance of defendant Nada ineffective in violation of the Sixth Amendment. The Office of Special Counsel shall disclose to defense counsel all legal authorities in support of its position so that Mr. Woodward may adequately advise defendant Nada prior to the continued Garcia hearing. On or before October 18th, the special counsel shall file a supplemental supplement to its Garcia motion not to exceed five double-spaced pages, succinctly setting forth the particular ways in which the potential or actual conflicts could render Mr. Woodward's representation of defendant Nada ineffective. Defendant Nada shall file a response by October 19th. The Garcia hearing as to defendant Nada is rescheduled for October 20th at 2 p.m. Defendant Nada and his attorneys and the Office of Special Counsel and its attorneys must be present. No continuances of this date. This is in bold. No continuances of this date will be granted. The remaining defendants and their counsel may, but are not required to, attend. Good on you, Judge Eileen Cannon. Good on you. Okay, and finally, our last filing as far as Trump stuff goes. Actually, our last filing tonight. We're not going to look at any more legal filings tonight. This morning. I keep forgetting that it's... If you're watching this live, it's going to be in the morning. Okay. Opposition to defendant's motion for extent to extend deadlines. So this is Jack Smith refuting Trump's request to extend the deadlines. Okay. Facing an upcoming upcoming deadline for discovery request and motions to compel on October 20th. Defendants have filed another motion to stay the deadlines indefinitely. The government has complied with and exceeded its discovery obligations to date, the defense has demonstrated that they are fully equipped to file a motion to compel any unclassified discovery they seek, and the government does not oppose a 10-day extension of the deadline to file a motion to compel classified discovery, given the complications surrounding defense access to classified discovery that have now been resolved. Interesting. Okay. So Jack Smith's team says that the problems Trump's team were complaining about as regards the skiff and the computer and all these things and the documents being moved back to DC has been resolved. Well, they may be resolved in Jack Smith's eyes. I'm interested to see if Trump's team thinks they've been resolved. Interesting. Okay. The defense motion misrepresents the record regarding production of classified and unclassified discovery disregards their own demonstrated ability to formulate requests for additional unclassified discovery and fails to disclose the government's position during conferral on this motion in which the government agreed to a brief continuance of the deadline for any motions to compel classified discovery. The defendant's motion for an indefinite extension should be denied. So they're saying, yeah, you can't indefinitely 
extend it, but I don't really, I didn't get the sense that, that was, that's what they were asking for was indefinite ex- this extent. It, the def, the definition on it was when Jack Smith special counsel's office catches up with what they were supposed to provide. So they say they don't oppose a 10 day extension. Okay. Argument. Let's see if there's some interesting stuff in here. It might be fun. Defendants seek an indefinite stay to to file their motion concerning unclassified discovery, claiming that, quote, the proffered distinction between unclassified and classified litigation is entirely illusory for these purposes. The discovery record and defendants' own conduct belie their claim. First, the government has fully complied with its unclassified discovery obligations. Defendants continue to wrongly accuse the government of being dilatory in producing discovery. Not so. As recounted in recent filings, the government promptly produced unclassified discovery and exceeded its obligations. Although it is unnecessary to repeat the discovery record here, a few key facts merit attention. One, more than 800,000 of the 1.3 million pages were produced to Trump in June and the other two defendants within one day of their arraignment. So they're saying, they're saying there's tons of this material, but we gave most of it. The vast majority of it was given in June, so they've had a lot of time, Judge. Regarding Jinx material, the government committed to and did produce all witness memorialization in its possession. The government's last production on October 6th was less than 1,900 pages. So here they address that, 1,900 pages. Here you go, boys. Almost 2,000 pages of material to go through before the deadline. You have two weeks. And since July 21st, when the court set the trial date, the unclassified discovery produced has totaled only about 168,423 pages, a fraction of the overall discovery in this case. Moreover, among the material produced since July 21st, about 134,974 pages, or approximately 80%, were from defendant Waltine Nada's devices, which include some documents previously produced, about which the government informed the court at the July 18th status hearing. Aside from Nada's devices, another 7,665 pages of the material produced after July 21st were copies of unclassified material from the boxes that Trump surrendered to Nara in January 2022, which boxes themselves and their unclassified contents have been available for defendants' inspection from the moment the government first produced discovery in June. In sum, the government has met and exceeded its discovery obligations. Indeed, the government believes it has now produced all unclassified discovery of which it is aware, except for emails and text messages exchanged by testifying law enforcement agents, which constitutes jinx material not due for disclosure until much closer to trial. Defendants thus have everything they need to file a motion to compel based on approximately 1.3 million pages of unclassified discovery they have received. Second, the defense has already requested from the government and received what it needs to file any motion to compel additional unclassified discovery. On October 9th, months after receiving the majority of the discovery in this case, the defense sent the government a nine-page discovery letter, which included 39 discovery requests, some of which included multiple subparts, and one of which included 49 subparts. The defense explicitly requested that the government respond by October 16th, in light of the current motion schedule on an obvious reference to the impending October 20th motion. The government diligently worked on a thorough response, which was provided on October 16th as defense requested. 
Not until the afternoon of October 13th, after the government was well underway and responding, did Trump's counsel inform the government the defense would be seeking an extension. Given that defendants received most of the discovery at issue months before, they could have made these requests earlier. The defense's extensive discovery request evidences their ability to thoroughly review and analyze the discovery it has been provided, and the government's prompt responses underscore the thorough and organized nature of the discovery it has provided. For example, Trump accused the government in his reply in support of his motion to adjourn the trial date of failing to produce, quote, nearly 50 FBI reports in the unclassified discovery that refer to enclosures and attachments that do not appear to have been produced, and ridiculed the government, alleging, quote, it is difficult to understand how the case file review mandated by the Justice Manual could miss that type of issue. In fact, in over half the identified instances, the government had already produced the enclosure to the defense, and in its October 16th letter, the government identified for the defense by Bates number where it was produced, and in many of the remaining instances, the enclosures or attachments were not discoverable. Footnote. Trump's counsel apparently made little effort to identify the enclosures on their own, given that in multiple instances the document specified, for example, that the referenced enclosure was a transcript or the audio recording of a specific interview that the government already had produced. In response to Trump's detailed discovery request, the government produced an additional 138 pages of unclassified discovery, while pointing out that these additional materials exceeded the government's discovery obligations. Given Trump's detailed October 9th discovery letter and the government's prompt and complete October 16th response, any motion to compel is ripe, there is no ca cause to extend the October 20th deadline with respect to unclassified discovery, let alone stay it indefinitely. Finally, the defense's assertion that unclassified and classified discovery are too intertwined to maintain the deadline for the moving for the moving to compel with respect to the former is wrong. The only example the defense offers about why unclassified and classified discovery are intertwined for purposes of its motion to compel is that, quote, the court's resolution of a motion regarding the scope of the prosecution team will have implications for both classified and unclassified materials. The resolution of any such motion does not affect what discovery the defense would seek to compel, rather only where the government search for the discovery. Nor does the defense need any additional time to review discovery to litigate the proper scope of the prosecution team. In his October 9th discovery letter, Trump set forth his expansive definition of the prosecution team, wrongly contending that it includes multiple components of the Justice Department not involved in this case, NARA, White House counsel, and the entire intelligence community. The government disputed this assertion in its October 16th response. The disagreement is therefore ripe and can be litigated now if the defense so chooses alongside any motion to compel unclassified discovery. Hmm. Only a brief continuance of the October 20th deadline with respect to a motion to compel is warranted. Due to the, un due to the unforeseen complications regarding the defense's access to some of the classified material, which have now been resolved, according to Jack Smith, the government does not object to an extension until October 30th for the defense to file motions to compel discovery. 
with the defense informing the government by October 20th if they have additional requests, as the defense originally proposed to allow time for conferral. Although the government informed counsel of that position when conferring on defendant's proposed motion, defendants failed to disclose the government's position in their pleading. Regardless, the court should set a date certain rather than agree to indefinite delay. As an initial matter, the government must correct the misstatements in defendant's filing regarding the timing of classified discovery and its status. As the government informed the defense on October 6th, on that date, the government produced to the Classified Information Security Officer, CISO, about 2,400 pages of classified discovery. The government inquired of the defense on Saturday, October 7th, when the defense was planning next to be in Florida to continue its review so that the government could ensure the discovery was available. Trump's counsel responded that day that they were unsure of their travel plans and would keep the government updated. The government responded to the defense the next day, October 8th, informing them that it could help coordinate the, the couriering of the special measures documents when they tra- those are the ones that got taken away. When they traveled to Florida, if an appropriate space was available for review and discussion of those documents. The government later learned from the CISO that defense counsel intended to travel to review documents the week of October 16th, so this week, and the government immediately arranged for the documents to be available when the defense intended to be present. In the meantime, the CISO informed the government and the defense that the, def- that the defense skiff and a second Florida location had been approved for review and discussion for all classified discovery resolving outstanding access issues, another fact that the defense omitted from its pleading. The government promptly arranged for delivering of the remaining materials to the SCIF for review upon counsel's arrival this week. As defendants well well knew when they filed their pleading, the approximately 2,400 pages of additional classified discovery will be available to them upon their arrival in Florida this week. The brief extension that the government proposes provides the defense ample time to complete its review of classified discovery, propound requests for additional discovery, and file any motion to compel. The government's proposal that the defendants propound all discovery requests related to classified discovery by October 20th is is the very deadline that defendants once proposed, yet at which they now balk. In defendants' motion for a revised schedule for motions to compel and SIPA Section 4 litigation, Defendants proposed October 6th for the, quote, completion of classified discovery described at status conference and the September 13th production letter by the special counsel's office. And October 20th for defense discovery requests submitted to special counsel's office. The the government produced to the CISO as planned on October 6th the materials it had described that the materials amounted to more pages than originally estimated and that defense counsel elected not to review them for a, for over a week due to not do wait elected not to review them for over a week. Do not justify a large extension of time for defendants to propound discovery request and file a motion to compel, let alone an indefinite delay. The total volume of classified discovery is approximately 5,500 pages. Is it's manageable, and now that access issues have been resolved, defendants should be able to make any discovery request by week's end and file any resulting motion to compel by October 30th. Hmm. Look, no doubt Trump's team embellished their argument 
as to how disadvantaged they are by Jack Smith's production of classified discovery and when it's happened and how much there is. And then the special measure documents being suddenly more requiring more security than all the other stuff and them being moved around and the quote unquote, the owners taking them back to DC and all this stuff. No doubt Trump's team embellished and tried to make it seem like a bigger problem than it probably actually was. But I don't quite buy that it's been as simple and straightforward as what Jack Smith's team is saying here. <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys can hear that, but my puppies are suddenly awake and barking, which is not good. I was hoping they would take a longer nap before I had to go get them because we have more to cover. We have much more I want to get to. Okay, I know that you can't quite see this on the screen. Let me kill my video for a moment. The parties are advised that production of classified discovery to defense counsel. This is an order, paperless order from Judge Cannon. The parties are advised that production of classified discovery to defense counsel is deemed timely upon placement in an accredited facility in Southern District of Florida, not in another federal district. Boom. Oh, that's a win for Trump team. It is the responsibility of the Office of the Special Counsel to make and carry out arrangements to deposit such discovery to defense counsel in this district in consultation with the litigation security group for security purposes. The Office of the Special Counsel shall update and or clarify any prior responses to the standard discovery order in accordance with this order. Signed, Judge Eileen Cannon, October 17th. Boom. Good on you, Judge Cannon. Man, I like Judge Cannon. She just told Jack Smith, no, you can't play this game. You've met the discovery requirements when the discovery is present and available to the defense counsel in my district, not in some other. Ha <laughs> ha, that's awesome. Okay, hopefully the dogs... Okay, they stop barking for the moment. We'll keep going. I may have to suddenly take a break so I can take them outside. Man, I really don't want to do that because, I mean, it'll take like 10 to 15 minutes. I don't want to take that long of a break. Okay. Um, I want to talk about this Chinese sub, but maybe I should just go ahead and skip to the, the really important segment in case my dogs do keep acting up. Um, I will say real quick about this Chinese sub. Uh, you guys, if you've been watching my show for a long time, you remember the USS Connecticut? You remember my shows covering that and the strangeness about what happened to it? And you remember some of the speculation that we had? Uh, one of our favorite at that time, one of our favorite things that we speculated about was the possibility that maybe the USS Connecticut and another Chinese sub got into some sort of altercation in the South China Sea. And one of the reasons we thought that was that we noticed uh, nuke-sniffing air aircraft being deployed in the region, and China was complaining about the risk of nuclear fallout and a nuclear reactor leak and all this stuff. And it's like, why are they complaining about all this, and why are they have these nuke-sniffing planes when the USS Connecticut lost its nose? 
and is on the surface trolling back to Guam. Like, why are they having all these complaints? And why is China, like, is China just up in arms for the sake of being up in arms? Or is there a real issue here? And there's a story that is getting shut down at first by a lot of outlets. But there's a story out that China may have lost one of its nuclear subs um, pretty close to the time of when the Connecticut was lost. Hold on. Let me find when it's... uh, let me find this this other one. Okay. When I find the date. So people are, it depends on who you go to, whether or not they think this is credible or not. It was the Daily Mail that first had, had it. 55 Chinese sailors are feared dead after a nuclear submarine gets caught in a trap intended to snare British and U.S. vessels in the Yellow Sea. Now that's a completely different area than where the Connecticut was. But it says 55 Chinese sailors are feeling dead after the nuclear submarine apparently got caught in a trap. According to a secret UK report, the seamen died following a catastrophic failure of the submarine's oxygen systems, which poisoned the crew. The captain of the Chinese PLA Navy submarine 093-417 is understood to be among the deceased, as were 21 other officers. Officially, China has denied the incident took place. It also appears Beijing refused to request international assistance for a stricken submarine. Here I am getting into this. Now, the Yellow Sea is up there near Korea. Okay, it's at the upper opposite. It's at the north end of China, not the south, where the Connecticut was. But just hang with me. So they go on to mention this, and the, they say the incident happened at 0812 local, resulting, resulting in 55 dead. Our understanding is death. Wait, this is from trying to see who is this from i don't see our understanding is death caused by epoxy due to system failure the submarine hit a chain and anchor obstacle used by the chinese navy to trap u.s and allied submarines this resulted in systems failures that took six hours to repair and pair and surface the vessel the onboard oxygen system poisoned the crew after a catastrophic failure there is no independent confirmation of the suspected loss beijing has dismissed open source speculation about the incident The UK report on this, which is based on defense intelligence for the United Kingdom, is held at a high classification. A British submariner offered this explanation, quote, it is plausible that this occurred, and I doubt the Chinese would have asked for international support for obvious reasons. If they were trapped in the net system and the submarine's batteries were running flat, plausible, then eventually the air purifiers and air treatment systems could have failed, which would have reverted the secondary systems and sub- subsequently implausibly failed to maintain the air, which led to asphyxia or poisoning. So that's the report. Now it gets even a little bit. There's another report though, from a tabloid on October 6th, cited an unnamed dissident who claimed to have quote, an update from central military commission. He claimed that the news of the subs fate had leaked to the British via an Apple watch bugged by MI6 and that this led to an investigation by the Chinese side. Close observers cast doubt. I'm reading from a report from the Substack spy talk, which is pretty good read lefty, but it's pretty good. It's some good sleuthing. Close observers cast down the reports 
which is being largely ignored by U.S. mainstream media. For starters, the photos posted by Daily Mail and Newsweek did not match their description of the vessel. And rumors continue, this time based on alleged UK intelligence that China lost a nuclear attack. Blah, 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 blah. Looking for the next. Uh... Others were quick to claim they had the story. On October 21st, an anonymous Chinese anti communist vlogger using the pseudonym Liu Day posted the first video about the alleged incident, claiming that six hours ago, a Type 093 nuclear-powered attack submarine of the CCP had an accident while performing a mission in Taiwan Strait. And that's why I bring this up. At first, it was a yellow. It was in the Yellow Sea, is like what Daily Mail said. But then you have a Chinese dissident saying, no, this happened in the Taiwan Strait. And then today I found... This report from Taiwan, and it says Chinese dissident Wang Dinggang told Taiwan News that a video of the Philippine Coast Guard cutting a Chinese floating barrier is linked to the alleged catastrophic incident involving one of China's Shang-class submarines and an Apple Watch bugged by the UK's Foreign Intelligence Agency. In an interview with Taiwan News on Monday, citing an insider working closely with China. Oh, yeah. I never turned my video back on. <laughs> All right. This was an China- Wang told Lude Media, which not a big fan of them because they're they're that's uh, Guo Wenggui or Miles Guo. That's his group or he's connected to that group big time. Um, I'm not a fan, but he told them that the audience and the, their audience that a Chinese nuclear submarine had a catastrophic accident on August 21st and that 55 sailors had died. The story was quickly picked up by other media outlets, blah, blah, blah. Wang told Taiwan News the Philippines video triggered panic among the top ranks of China's military. He said an investigation is underway. Wang said the officer's partner bought the, bought the watch. So the, uh, that officer who had this Apple Watch, their partner bought the watch in the UK as a gift. MI6 analysts were able to listen into classified meetings that the officer attended. So I'm intrigued by the story by that angle of it, but I'm also intrigued because it's making me think back to the USS Connecticut and whether or not China might have lost a sub then and didn't tell anybody about it, just like right here with this one, you have OSINT and you have things popping up that kind of add some credibility to this. Like there's there's a little there's rumor, like there's no confirmation, but it's a little bit more than rumor mongering. Um make me think like if China did lose one back back then, how would we know? The only way would we would know is by OSINT people who check satellites and keep track of these subs going in and out of uh, their harbors and then being able to have good enough resolution to figure out exactly which sub is where and like where it last appeared and then where it appears again. So it ha- it has me thinking back to that. There may, we may see a lot more about this story. Like this could turn out to be true that China lost a nuclear submarine either in the yellow sea or the Taiwan Strait. And I just kind of, I just kind of wonder guys, like 
that's going to be a big international incident. And I don't think China has the ability to bring it back up. I don't think they have, they would have to ask the U S for help. I think, I think. Okay. Those dogs are still going crazy, but I'm just going to roll with this. Okay. I'm going to show some graphic image. So this images, so I'm not going to dwell on the graphic images. Okay. They're going to be on screen a few times and for several minutes, but I just want to warn you that they're going to be there. I'm not going to keep them up there on screen any longer than I absolutely have to, because I'm not trying to be gory or show graphic images. I don't enjoy doing it. Um, especially the nature of what these are, but I do feel that it's necessary for me to show them right now. Okay. Cause I want to address something. I want to address the, the information warfare that is happening um, online as regards Israel and Hamas conflict. Um, I'm going to try, I'm going to try and be stoic about this because like, I, I am, I'm finding myself being really, really bothered uh, by the subject matter. It's really getting to me. And I'm also finding myself being very disappointed because a lot of people are taking hip shots about what they see coming out of a war zone. And I think if we all take a moment to calm down, we'll, we can, it's common sense that news out of a war zone needs time to have more context added to it. You need more information. There's, there's such a thing as the fog of war, of course, but in this information battlefield, there's so much information coming out at once from all these different sources with claims being made about it. So much of it, misinformation and disinformation. There's it's cognitive warfare constantly playing out and propaganda doesn't even begin to describe everything you see. And when we also have fake images around fake videos, um, misnamed or uh, people just making honest mistakes. So about where a video was from or when it, what year it came out, what month, where, like all this stuff. So it pays to not like, this is, if there's any time where you should say, you know what, I'm not going to try and be first. I'm just going to try and be accurate. It's right now, but there's big money to be made by being first. And there's also, various intel agencies, media groups, bad actors, whatever, who are going to try and be first so they can set the narrative because the narrative matters. And once you get a narrative started and it catches on, it gets enough fuel, so difficult to ever undo that narrative. So difficult. So, oh man, those dogs are going crazy. Ay, ay, ay. Streaming in the morning doesn't work very well. Streaming at night doesn't work very well for me. All right. So what I'm getting at is that we've had some incidents with, uh, since the very first, since the very beginning of this war, this conflict, we had, um, 
at first people were claiming that it didn't happen, that the festival attack didn't happen. There was nobody at the festival got killed or, um, well, it depends. Like there were all sorts of claims. There were claims that it didn't happen. Israel didn't get attacked. It's all fake news. How can anybody believe this? Um, this is another false flag. It's whatever. And then it was, okay, it happened, but Israel was behind it. They let the terrorists come in and kill hundreds of civilians and also some of their own soldiers. And they let, they let it happen because they wanted, they wanted Netanyahu to have the excuse to have another war so he could get more power. Like, so that's the next claim, right? But these are all conspiracy theories and these are all hot takes that are, that are being come up with based on a bias that no matter what Israel does, it's bad for a lot of people. That's where it's coming from. Now, for some people that are trying to, and I'm sorry, but that's how it is. That's I'm seeing a lot of, I'm, I'm finding out that there are a lot of, a lot more people than I realized who are preferencing they're they're preferencing a their bias that Israel can't be trusted over the evidence right in front of them and it's i don't care for it let me put it that way now i'm not saying that everybody's doing that but man sure a lot of people are a lot of people are very quick when israel is when israel is involved I don't feel like people deal deal with things uh, matter-of-factly. So anyway, people made all sorts of claims about there wasn't an attack on the, the festival, there wasn't an attack on the babies, there wasn't an attack here or there, it's false flag, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But here you are, we have images now of the plans that Hamas made showing that they were targeting these specific areas, these specific institution institutions, they were targeting civilians because that's what they always do. They always target, they always target civilians. And this map right here shows Kibbutz Kafar Azah, which is where this baby massacre is or did happen. Now leads me to let me let me grab this. This one. So this is one of the videos of there's many videos of this attack on the festival. I'm not going to show all of them. I picked this one out because this is who these Islamo Nazis are. This is after the attack had already been underway at this music festival and people were fleeing and hiding, thinking that possibly people were hiding in the porta potties. These assholes walk by them and shoot into every porta potty. It's just indiscriminate killing, which is, that's what they excel at, is indiscriminate killing. That's their goal, indiscriminate killing. And we have many, many videos of this event. Many. They can't all be fake, and they're not all fake. In fact, I haven't found that many fake ones related to the festival. We also had this false story come out. It claims that this explosion right here. Was Israel targeting civilians in Palestine, which is pretty rich for. If you don't realize it, 
Hamas runs the government in Palestine. So we're right here where it says the Palestinian Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Expatriates claims. That's not the Palestinian civilians claiming that. That's Hamas terrorists claiming that. Hamas runs the government in Palestine. So this is Hamas claiming that Israel targeted civilians with their missiles, which is outrageous considering that is the modus operandi of all these terrorist groups in Palestine and elsewhere in the world. Targeting civilians is what they do. So hearing them complain about it, it's just sickening. By the way, this wasn't a missile. Do you hear a missile? No, you don't. What happened was a terrorist's own car, his own bomb, blew up right there on the bridge. That's what happened. And civilians got killed because they're there living amongst where the terrorists live, and that sucks, and that's why the terrorists must be must be eliminated. They have to be eliminated. But so that the civilians in there can be can be safe. Now, both 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 Palestinians and Israelis, right? Both Palestinians and Israelis would be far better off if Islamic Jihad and Hamas and all these other Islamo-Nazi groups were eliminated. Just like the Iraqis and other other uh, Middle Easterners, civilians throughout the region are safer because of ISIS being eliminated. But these terrorist groups learned from ISIS. They really did. All right. Andy No here fact-checked this post. This is another fake claim that went around claiming that one of these images was photoshopped, but it wasn't. It was an AI image or a photoshopped image. This didn't really happen. And I'm bringing this up as an example because this is a technique that is being exploited online in order to drive discussions away from what matters. It's it's a it's a it's countering it's countering the news by by instead of making Hamas's atrocities against civilians the main news story, it's co-opting it and making it about no Israel's posting fake images generated by AI. But it's not true. But like I said before, because there's so many people who have such a bias against Israel, they see the claim Israel posted a fake image and they're like, yeah, no shit. That's what they always do. Yeah. Yeah. Can't believe anything Israel says. And like it plays into people's biases. And so people just leap to that claim without doing any research themselves. And that's really my point of this, this segment. I'm not, I'm not wanting to quote unquote bitch about others in the community. What I'm wanting to do is I'm wanting to show that, Hey, Doing the research yourself is very important and solving for your own biases is very important. And it's even more important when we're dealing with material such as this, such as an actual war that could expand into a regional conflict in the Middle East that could easily expand into a world war. We are in a very, very dangerous moment and we are at a very critical moment in the middle in middle east history and in us history and it matters that we are accurate and that we vet information that comes our way we've all learned that there's fake news on the left and the right 
And we've all learned that we're in an information war and there are bad actors in this information war putting out bad information. There are also bad actors who try to mislead you into having arguments that you shouldn't, that like are dead end arguments or that are, uh, that lead you into chasing your tail. Um, this like, it's to me, it's like ECM. I made a post about this a while back that one of the, th- like in war, regular warfare in kinetic warfare, you have ECM electronic countermeasures that interfere with your enemy's ability to gather intelligence or signals. Okay. In an information warfare, you have the signal amongst the noise. You've heard that expression, right? So you got the signal, which is raw information, solid information. It's accurate. Make of it what you will, but the actual information is credible. Okay. The way you apply ECM to credible information, valuable information, is by contorting it just a bit and misleading people away from that credible information or tainting that credible information in some way. And then you can make the story about what you cont- you contorted, what you mis what you uh malformed, what you uh, the inf- disinformation you came up with to counter the good information. And that is what has happened, in my opinion, with this 40 decapitated babies thing. Again, we're going to look at graphic images. So, as you can easily understand, in a war zone, during a war, there are often conflicting reports, kind of like when an emergency situation happens here in America, say there's a shooting or there's, let's say, let's say there's a big car wreck. Okay, let's just say there's a big car wreck, like five cars involved in a wreck on the highway and 12 people call 911. You're going to have probably five to 10 different stories about how the wreck happened. You might, you might have one person call in and say there's three cars involved because from their perspective, they don't, they can only see three cars involved in the wreck. You might have someone else call in and say there's a dozen cars involved because they exaggerate and they get worked up and they make a big claim. Okay. You might have some people say, I saw the red truck hit the white car and that started the whole thing. You might have another person say the white car slammed on their brakes to avoid debris in the road and the red truck slammed into the debris and then caused the accident. Like you have all of this conflicting information about a developing event that is traumatizing, that is uh, people, people get emotional, there's confusion, there's noise. It's an unusual incident relatively to other things that happen day to day for most of us. So that happens to a times a thousand in a war zone. And the way this baby story came out is that the, the Israeli army was going and clearing out the terrorists that were, had gone into Israel and they came across this place where there were all these dead babies, approximately 40 dead babies. And the report initially was, as I heard it, and as I read it from IDF, was approximately 40 murdered babies 
some burned, some decapitated. That very quickly became, because of the nature of the game of telephone and the nature of how news media works and the nature of social media, that pretty quickly became 40 decapitated babies. But that wasn't the original claim. But because of things getting miscommunicated, it went from the original approximately 40 dead babies, some burned, some decapitated, to the extreme of all of them being decapitated. And now any image that isn't of a decapitated baby means that Israel lied. But And then in the middle of that, you have the news media who bears a lot of responsibility for this because, like I said earlier, they want to be the first to break the news. So they're trying to report this stuff as quickly as possible. And not only is it true that if it bleeds, it leads. It's true that if they get five reports of the same thing of a car crash, like I was talking about earlier, they're going to pick the most extreme one because it's going to get the most attention online and on their program, right? So they got these reports and that one reporter made her claim, which was not what the IDF had said or would end up saying anyway about it, about this, this incident. She ended up retracting it. Now people who called the incident bullshit in the beginning are using her retraction of her own misstatements as evidence that the whole thing was false. When it's only evidence that she misreported what happened at there happened at that place. Does that make I hope that makes sense. We all understand how the game of telephone works and we all understand how the media embellishes and exaggerates things. So this really isn't un, unusual or hard to understand or surprising that things would get miscommunicated about any sort of incident, but especially something in a war zone. So again, another warning we're getting into, we're going to get into some graphic stuff. Now, what I have done since this conflict started is I found myself on the, in the 48, 72 hours after the initial attack by Hamas, excuse me, I found myself online on Telegram, X, Reddit, other places, going through my sources of information for OSINT and for news in that region and various journalists who I have used in the past to do a good job. And I also came across a few that I wasn't familiar with yet. And I started looking at images to see exactly what was happening instead of only reading reports about it and looking at retweets and hot takes. And I had already come across some images of murdered children. And I had already come, I came across on my own images of the aftermath of, um, of the attack images of what happened inside people's homes, images of what happened inside kids' bedrooms. Um, and I hadn't seen decapitated babies and I still haven't seen an image of a decapitated baby. That doesn't mean there aren't decapitated babies, but I haven't seen the images. The claim is that there are. Okay, what I do, what I have seen are a bunch of murdered civilians, including women and children. And that's enough for me. It's not a big leap for me to think 
oh, if they're willing to do all the nasty things and horrible, evil things I have seen so far, then I think they're willing to do decapitations. After all, ISIS was a big fan of decapitating people, and Hamas is already threatening to decapitate the people they took hostage, which is now around 200 people, is the estimate. So I was looking at images, and I was looking at the best reports trying to suss out exactly what this event was and how bad it was and what it might lead to, because I have an interest, as you guys know, that following this program. I have a lot of interest in the Middle East. Not an expert on it, but I have a lot of interest in it, and I like following news about what's happening over there. I think it's very important for the world, and I also think it's important for Trump's legacy, and it's important for the U- for U.S. foreign policy. So, the horror of this incident and the images and photos that document it were acquired and shown to the U.S. They were shown to the Prime Minister of Israel and... Eventually, they decided that we're going we're gonna to publish these images. So, final warning, guys. We're going to look at some nasty images. Now, one last thing. Before I get into this, I'm not exactly trying to convince you that all of this is 100% exactly as Israel says any more than I would try to convince you that all of this is exactly or anything is exactly what Biden or Blinken or anybody in the U S government says, right? When we get information about like when the U S government says a thing, even when Trump was in office, we don't take it necessarily at face value, right? We have to make a judgment call as to how credible it is. I'm doing the same thing with the information coming from Israel. My key point here is to one, show you how you can do some checking on your own. So I'm going to show you how I check some of these images. Two, I'm trying to show you how the narrative warfare that is happening in regards to this conflict has laced within it a bunch of bullshit commentary and takes and conspiracy theories and claims of false flags and all sorts of stuff, which pretty much all tend to be against Israel. And yeah, I just, I just not a fan, not a fan. So these images were published to prove that incident that babies were killed by Hamas. It wasn't, they weren't published to prove that original or not original, but that one outlandish claim that there were 40 decapitated babies. That wasn't the purpose. The purpose was to prove that Hamas are monsters because they are, and people need to know that they're monsters because the Palestinians need rescuing from these monsters. So we got these images from Israel. This image on the left, I had already seen. I I had already seen this image and was aware of it. These images over here, I had not seen of the burn babies. Um, Truly disturbing and horrifying. 
Now, after those came out, something happened. And it was that, do I have it right here? Yes. Let me see if I can find it in this thread. Because what I want is the Ben Shapiro post. Yeah, so what happened was Ben Shapiro posted one of those images. Ben Shapiro took this image and made a post with it. And immediately people started claiming that it was fake in one giant account, which I have never heard of, but they're way too big and they want you to give them money so they can keep spreading bullshit. Where is, where is he at? Where'd that guy go? That guy, I lost it. I'm going to find it in a minute. I have it bookmarked over here. So let me grab this. And don't need that. I don't need that. Okay. The point was, and you can see Netanyahu and Bennett, who are in different parties, saying that the point of this is to show you that these people are killing, are killing babies um, and killing children. Now, what happened was Ben Shapiro posted one of these images and made a comment. Under it, another account came in and claimed that they had run that image through an AI tool and the image said it was AI. This image, like, that's not the one I want. You guys all seen this. Where did it go? Jackson Hinkle. That's the account. That's that account. So that Jackson Hinkle account came in and said that they ran it through this AI scanning, this image scanning tool, and that it said that the image was generated by AI. You can see it right there. And I'm sure you all you guys know this. I don't even need to bring up the original one. But they said that it was it was generated by AI. Tim Pool comes in and says, I double checked this with the tool AI or not and got the same result that these images were made by AI. Well, I was like, I saw this and said, I'm going to go check myself. It's pretty easy to do. It's not fun to do, but it's pretty easy to do. So I pulled up AI or not and decided I'm going to go over there and I'm going to make an account. I don't know if I'm still logged in or not. I'm going to make an account and I am going to check some images. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to check some images. Let me see uh, right here. I don't know if I'm still logged in or not. Yeah, I am. Okay. It's really, really easy. So first I decided that I was going to test it. So I was going to upload an image I knew was not AI, right? And I'm going to see what it says. This is likely human. That's correct. In more than one way. So I thought, okay. I'm going to 
try an image that I know I have manipulated. Now it's not AI made, but I have manipulated this image. I've used Photoshop. Let me see what happens if I up upload an image that I've used Photoshop on and whether it says it's AI or if it's human, just as a test. I just want to see. Okay. It said that it was actually human, even though it's not displaying it. So maybe that's a false, that's a false one. Let's try a different image. I'm going to take the, I'm going to take this one. I know that this image hasn't been edited at all. Likely human. There we go. Actually they're dogs, but we get it. So I said, all right, let's take this image that allegedly came back as AI. Now I'm doing this test right in front of you. And I'm going to tell you that I think it's 50, 50, what it'll say. There's a reason for that. The first time I did this, it came back as human. A couple other people in my chat did that. And it also came back as human. And again, it comes back as human. Here you go. But of course, what you guys have seen probably is the claim going around that it came back as being AI generated. There's a very easy explanation for why that might happen. But before I get to that, I want to test out what really set things on fire. What really sent this argument into absurdity and just what really set me off was this. This was posted on 4chan claiming here was the original photo. They used a puppy rescue photo as the backdrop and AI'd the rest. And I am sad to say that I watched so many people that I respect and who I like and a bunch more I don't instantly accept this as true. Instantly accept that it was AI according to this website and that this random person on 4chan had found the original. So, I decided to go and get this image. The best I could get, just like this original image with this puppy. I was like, okay, well what happens if I upload this puppy to this page? Cause one of these photos is fake and see, it says it's likely human too. Like, okay. We got a problem. We got a problem. This image and the other one with the claimed burned baby, both of them can't be real. One of them is obviously manipulated. Which one is it? Well, if I had to bet, I'm going to bet that the guy who says his source is that his dad works at CentCom and he's posting anonymously on 4chan probably isn't as credible as the Israeli defense forces and all the journalists who got to take a look at that photo and more. And I'm going to bet that given this image, 
this image and this image all having many things in common. The body bag, the blue gloves, the stretcher. They go along with other claims that make sense. Looking at these images, I can see, I've unfortunately, I've seen some burned bodies in my time. Looks pretty real. I'm going to, and these are high definition. These are higher definition, certainly, than this puppy. And these come from a source with some credibility. Some. Not 100%, but some. This come from an anonymous person who says his dad works at CentCom. I also decided that I am going to image search the puppy because that guy on 4chan claimed that he was able to find the original photo and it's from a puppy rescue and etc. Well, let me try 10eye and see if it can find it. What's the oldest image? I'm going to sort it by oldest. What do I get? I don't get the puppy. First found October 11th. And it's what was posted by the IDF and Netanyahu and Daily Mail. Then I get the puppy showing up. But if this was the original photo, guys, this would be the one that came up. See how I have it sorted by oldest? If the puppy was the original photo that had been manipulated into a burned baby, the puppy would be listed as the oldest post here. And you guys can try this for yourself. Go to 10i, go to some other image search tool, Google being whatever, search it, sort by oldest, and see where that image first appeared and see if you can find that the puppy appeared first. I don't think you will because it didn't, even though this dude's dad works at CENTCOM which is the dumbest thing. I mean, this has to have been a joke. Surely the person who posted this thought it was a joke and didn't realize how it would, how it would just be carried get carried away and people would buy this over what the IDF had posted. Now, I can tell you why this image might come back according to this tool, even though it didn't this time. The reason why I said it might be 50-50 is because of this right here. There is image manipulation in this photo. You can see it right there where they blocked out the, I think it's the name of, or I'm not sure. I think it's some sort of personally identifying information. I'm not sure, but you can see they have this, these blocks right here. That is exactly what these tools like optic AI or not look for in photos. They look for pixelation. They look for artifacts from the image that showed that it was made by AI because AI has a way of when they generate fake photos, they leave markers that identify that. And I'm going to prove that to you right now. So we're going to go to one of my, one of my favorite sites on the internet, internet, this person does not exist.com. That's right. This person does not exist.com. And this per when you go to that website, every image it shows you, is an artificially generated image. The person does, isn't real. This person right here is not real. If you refresh it, you'll get another image. 
this person is not real. Let me refresh it again. This person is not real. So I tried this with AI or not.com here. Let me, I'm going to save a couple of these. Okay. I'm going to save a couple images that we know were made. In fact, I can see an error on this one in her hair. It's, you see that error? I'm going to, I'm not going to take that one. I'm going to take some ones that look, that look pretty good. I'm going to take this one because it looks like an old photo, you know, looks like a camera from like 10 years ago or something. I uh, took that photo. Okay, let me, let me get one more. That one's a little blurry. That one's pretty good. Yeah, I'm going to take this one. Okay. So let's test this tool and see if it finds out, it figures out that they're AI or not, because we know they are. We know they're AI. Let's Let's test and see it. First, we're going to take this one. Holy crap, it says not safe for work content detected. That is, I didn't upload anything that was not safe for work. Hold on, hold on. Let me, uh, let me see what this says. Oh, it won't let me even look at it. It won't even let me click on it and look at it. That's weird. Okay, let's call that an error. <laughs> let me try this one. This is likely AI. Okay, so the we, we have three AI images. First one, we got an error on this site. The second one, it was correct. Let's do another one. Likely AI. Good, so it, it, it got it correct, okay. Let me try Oh, I know what's going on. Like I'm downloading these and they're actually a little bit, di they're different. Let me try. Let me tr I wonder, dude, that was weird. Why did it, I didn't, okay. I just realized it's, it's like when I'm downloading an image from this site, it's giving me a different one than what I download. Okay. Let me screenshot this one. You see what it says about this one. Likely AI. Okay. When I screenshot, it worked. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this again, guys, because I don't like it that it, it messed up like that. Okay. I'm going to screenshot this, save it. And then upload it. Something about when you download, download from this person does not exist. It gives you a different image than what you clicked on. Okay, this is likely AI. All right, now I don't know if this is going to work or not, but I have Rudy Giuliani's mugshot. Let's see if because the sheriff's badge is artificially, but okay, it found it figured out it was human. So even a low res image, it leans towards human. But again, it would be completely understandable if either on the burned baby image or on the puppy image, this thing said it was AI because it literally has pixels right here in it. So this, this thing is going to see those pixels and think that's part of a, an artifact from it being artificially generated. I hope that makes sense. 
Now, there's another site you can use. There's another tool you can use. Photo Forensics is one. I uploaded some images here before I did the show. Let me go to my recent images. So we know that this one, I haven't manipulated it, but I did take it with the iPhone. So the iPhone does add some things to it. And you see this? This is what you're looking for, ELA. Error level analysis. So if you use this website, Photo Forensics, there's the original. You put it on ELA and it shows you artifacts, okay? And it's telling you like there might be a bit of an issue here. Or there's some uh, manipulation. The forensics are saying like there was something done here. Now, I don't remember ever doing any Photoshop on this photo. I guess it's telling you that my beard is fake. <laughs> but let's look at a different image. Let's look at Rudy. Okay, this white right here, this white, it's picking up pixels and it's picking up errors in the image. But this is a low res image that might explain that. Notice that the, the sheriff's badge, it has it all over it because it's photoshopped on there. Let's look at some puppies. I know this image has no manipulation. I took it with my iPhone a couple weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. The puppies are much bigger now. Jeez. Look right here. See how there's not much white outline around the dogs? Now the leash and the, um, this leash right here and then her, her harness, I think they're just, it's, it's because of the pattern on it. It's picking up these artifacts, I think. But you can see the dogs, there's not a whole lot of white outline. When you put in a fake photo, when you put in something that is manipulated, it looks like this. You get those white outlines everywhere because it's been photoshopped. And there's errors between where the pixels meet one another. I'm going to take it. I'm going to show you an image I photoshopped. I photoshopped this image and look what it shows you. See, I applied multiple filters to this photo of this mugshot of Trump to make it look a little bit more vintage kind of feel to it. And that's what it looks like. So it picks up those errors where you put those filters on there. Another tool you can use is forensically. If you search this, I mentioned this at the last Badlands Media event. So forensically is a great tool. All these things are free. And one of the things I like about forensically is this image it starts off with, with the UFO above the city. It's for you to test and learn how to use their tools. So when you go to ELA or error level analysis, guess what happens? Boom. It's showing you this is part of the photo is fake. The shadow is fake. This paratroopers fake. It's showing you all of those things, right? Very clear, very clearly that they're fake. So let's look at the puppy. Let's just see what it looks like. Again, we get all of this because this photo has been photo. This, in my opinion, the puppy is photoshopped and then reduced in image quality. Hence the JPEG errors up here on the outlines of other things in order to hide that it was photoshopped. Remember I mentioned on defected like a couple weeks ago, the potato cipher, the more potato an image is, the less 
more likely it is that it's been manipulated. There you go. And just for fun, I'll go ahead and upload that picture of me. Error. So it does the same thing. It says my beard. I get guys, I guess my beard is Photoshopped. <laughs> anyway, this stuff isn't perfect. Like you really need the most raw image. You need the original image to go and use those tools. And even then it may not do the best job for you. Right. But that story, because of the puppy image getting uploaded because of the claim on 4chan and because of people's biases and people's distrust to some degree, very much justified because of people's distrust in media and Israel, again, somewhat justified. People were inclined to not believe Israel, even if it meant believing a random person on 4chan claiming his dad worked at CENTCOM instead. Even though you could search the internet and do this work like I just did, even though you could use 10i and reverse image search and easily find out that there were reasons not to buy that, and then on balance, the image of the burned baby, it made a lot more sense that it was real than this puppy. The narrative was there. And you guys saw people repeat it without ever doing research on their own just repeating it because it was the hot take of the day of the week, in my opinion. Now, it's happening again tonight. And I got to go through this quick so I can take care of those dogs. People are claiming that Hamas, actually Islamic Jihad, um, that... This hospital, Israel bombed the hospital with a JDAM. Israel surgically struck a hospital, killing hundreds of people. There's no way it was a Islamic Jihad who just happened to be launching a missile strike at the same time that this happened at the hospital. No way it's Islamic Jihad or Hamas who have had rockets many times fall short of their intended targets in Israel and land in Palestine and kill Palestinians. No, 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 no. It must be Israel. And the New York Times and other media outlets ran with this, saying Israel did this. And look at what they said. Palestinians say Israel did it. No, Hamas and Islamic Jihad, who run the government in Palestine, are saying Israel did it. You're You're printing the words of terrorists whose modus operandi is killing civilians and then blaming Israel for those deaths or saying that they're involuntary martyrs and praising it, you're believing them over evidence. You're going with those take and people are going to get hurt because of it. So this hospital bombing spokesperson for um, Israel earlier today published a report saying that Israel had done it and people are, I think probably people have screenshot it down here where he said a Reuters report said that Israel had bombed this hospital, but he then retracted it. And he said earlier today, I shared a report that was published on Reuters. So it wasn't Israel's press claiming that this happened, guys. It was Reuters claimed it. Israel's press person shared that story before then realizing his error and, and removing it. 
He says, I mistakenly shared this information in, in a since-deleted post in which I referenced Hamas's routine use of hospitals to store weapon caches or caches and conduct terrorist activity. That is true. Hamas and Islamic Jihad and these other terrorists hide their munitions wherever they can, especially inside and underneath civilian buildings. That's how they do their, that's their modus operandi. Now, he says the IDF does not bomb hospitals. I'm going to go ahead and tell you guys, in my opinion, having watched a lot of footage of the IDF operating, I think if the IDF needed, felt they needed to bomb a hospital, they would. They would give a warning. They would do a, a roof knock, basically dummy rounds on the roof, knocking the building, letting that building know that they're a target for a strike and that building is coming down because it's housing terrorist weapons. And then I think they would hit it, even though it was a hospital. I think, I think Israel would do that. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that Israel did this. But the claim that Israel did it came from Hamas to Reuters and then spread like wildfire that Israel killed, all, destroyed this hospital and killed all these people. Reuters, though, now reports that the IDF is going to release footage and intercepted conversations proving that Islamic Jihad was behind the bombing. I want to save that. In fact, Al Jazeera happened to be live at the same time that Islamic Jihad was launching a rocket barrage and recorded the hit. And if you don't, I found it earlier online, but I failed to grab it. I should find it later. But Islamic Jihad launched a, a strike tonight. That's what this is from. And before they launched it, they said, they put out online that they were going to launch their their heaviest, most powerful rockets yet. Well, these are all homemade rockets and they often fall on Gaza civilians, as I've said before. And when they do, these Islamo-Nazis guys, when they accidentally kill a civilian, they, they, they call it involuntary martyrdom or forced martyrdom and they celebrate it. And then they go and claim, oh yeah, there's that. <laughs> I finally found it. There's the bookmark I was looking for earlier. Um, then they go and claim that Israel was responsible. And guess what, guys? Not only did Israel bomb this building and kill all... I mean, look at... Okay. You want to see propaganda? This is propaganda. This is a doctor of this hospital, supposedly, who has surrounded himself with the corpses of people allegedly killed in this bombing and is doing a press conference amongst all those bodies. Guys, can you name one doctor worth a damn that would ever do something this grotesque? Look at how grotesque this is. This is propaganda. This is some of the most nasty, evil propaganda I have ever seen in my life. And he's doing it in order to claim Israel did it. So (laughs) 
Ezra Levant, the disinformation about the Gaza hospital today by the New York Times, the BBC, and the rest of the fact check media, weaponized by useful idiots like Justin Trudeau, will no doubt cost lives and riots tonight, which are happening right now while I'm recording this. Hopefully it doesn't cost lives, but we'll see. Now, the next other claim, actually, I'm going to read this from Noah Bloom. The Gaza health ministry is so stretched that doctors are forced to drink from IV bags. That's a claim going around. But also it somehow has organized the capacity to provide accurate and immediate casualty figures in the hundreds from an explosion at a hospital at night under rubble. These things don't jive. It's propaganda. Now, this is the latest thing, also from this bullshit artist, Jackson Hinkle, who is begging you to subscribe to his X Premium, which I'm sure is just as full of bullshit as his public post. This is the latest claim with people going around who don't know what they're talking about. This is what they're claiming. Listen for yourself. The first clip is the sound of a tiny Hamas rocket. The second clip is the sound of a J-Dam bomb. Third clip is the sound of what hit the Gaza hospital. If it was a JDAM, it was 100% Israel. This is what they're claiming. It, okay. Hamas rocket. There it is. Bombs out. Bombs away. Okay, that was the JDAM. Now this is going to be what supposedly hit the hospital. And people hear that and they're saying, oh, that proves that it was Israel that did it. And if you look, did I pull up my, this is my internet search. This is the top post with 63,000 likes. And there's a ton of people posting. Listen to this clip. It's obvious it's a JDAM. Israel blew up the hospital. Just listen to the clip. Everybody knows Israel did it. It's a JDAM. Okay, I can totally destroy that right now because that's not what a JDAM is. JDAM stands for Joint Direct Attack Munition. And it is a package of navigation equipment that is placed on general purpose bombs. There isn't a sound of a JDAM. A, Jan a JDAM is not one thing that makes one specific sound. It's a guidance kit that converts existing unguided free fall bombs into accurate smart munitions. But it's still a dumb free fall bomb like these. That's all a JDAM is. It takes a dumb bomb that you drop and it free falls down onto a target. And it puts on fins and a um, tracking system and some electronics so that it can be steered to the target and be more accurate. It improves accuracy. That's what it does. It doesn't have like this specific sound. So all of these people saying, listen to this clip. This is what a JDAM sounds like. That, that, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, it's like saying, this is what Michelin ATs sound like. It depends on where you put, like what car you put on them, put, put them on. Like, or like, this is what some other thing, like a, this specific tailpipe sounds like. Yeah, it's going to sound similar on different cars. That's not even a good example. I should pick a better one. Um, it doesn't make any sound. There is no sound. 
It makes no sense. <laughs> I can't even think of a good analogy because it's so dumb. Yet, here we are. Here we are. And so, why do I care about this? You know, why am I getting worked up about this? Well, I'm getting worked up about it because, as Ezra Cohen Watnick said, in an attempt to deride Israel, the victim of a heinous terror attack, many in the news media raced to publish false claims about a terrible Hamas strike on its own civilian population. Whatever their motivation, the media threw fuel on an already tense situation, inciting further violence in the region. This has endangered lives of Americans, Israelis, and other allies. And that's the whole, that's the whole thing, guys. This bad information, misinformation, and I think malinformation, the net effects of it are that other terrorist groups are now more angry and more likely to get involved in attacks on civilians and perhaps this war. This conflict in this region is more likely tonight to expand into a regional conflict or even World War III because media outlets like the New York Times and others went with this bullshit. They took the word of Islamo-Nazis and printed them as a credible report. How would you feel about them doing it with the Nazis from Germany in the 1930s and 40s? Well, guess what? They kind of did it then too, didn't they? It wasn't good, was it? Real harm happens because of people misreporting about topics as serious as this. Accuracy is so important right now. And cynical hot takes and not doing the least amount of work, like it doesn't take very long. It doesn't take a lot of effort to see a claim that says, this is the sound of a JDAM. It's a signature match. It doesn't take it doesn't take a lot of work, guys, to just search. I wonder what a JDAM is. Oh. Oh, wait a minute. That doesn't make sense that it would have a specific sound. Once released from the aircraft, the JDAM autonomously navigates to the designated target coordinates. The target coordinates can be loaded into the aircraft before takeoff, blah, 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 blah. The JDAM system will provide a weapon circular error probable of five meters or less during free flight when the GPS data is available. If GPS data is denied, the JDAM will achieve a 30 meter uh, accuracy. JDAM enables multiple weapons to be directed against singular multiple targets. Where in here does it say anything about a sound and how does it make a sound? Does it even have a motor? No, it's still a free fall bomb. Still a free fall bomb. It just turns that free fall bomb into a guided bomb. And I, what do you want to bet that a 2,000 pound BLU 109 Mark 84 equipped with, equipped with JDAM 
sounds a lot different than a 500 pound blue 111 Mark 82. All right, I gotta go tend to these dogs. I don't know if I made my point or not. I don't know. I'm frustrated and disappointed. So I'm going to listen to some music and uh, thank y'all. If you enjoyed the show, hit the thumbs up support links in the description. Have a good one.